and brightest day and blackest night. All other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast, episode 487. That's right. What are we talking about tonight? Something interesting because it's not current. (laughs) (laughs) Though I did, I will admit, I did skim through, uh, I have it, the Dark Crisis with Hal in it today. So that by itself was not as bad as I expected it to be. Not exactly (laughs) as advertised either, but it was not as bad as I expected it to be. I haven't read any any of this week's comics yet, so I'll have to I'll have to check it out. But the real answer to your question is we're going back to, in the Wayback Machine to uh, the Silver Age to do Green Lantern number 40. That's right. One of my favorite issues uh, and one of my one of my pride and joys that I own, um, even though I do own issues before issue 40 so technically in terms of value the old, the older it is the better it is but this is a key this is i think is a I, I think it's fair to say it's a key among keys although two of the other issues we'll talk about in a minute uh, uh are arguably more a, re, a more iconic uh I, I don't know um but uh this is the story the secret origin of the guardians because um and you know what we'll just get into it um the cover is i i personally consider it iconic it is hal versus alan on the cover in front of the guardians they're telling how to turn in his power ring because alan scott is replacing you and uh he's like well nobody's replacing me unless they can beat me in a duel uh and it's the secret origin of the guardians uh, this is a great uh issue in that it is not only an iconic Silver Age issue, but it's one of the a lot of Silver Age issues were split in two. Uh, there are two two different stories in there. This is all one story in several parts. Uh, the story is by John Broom, art by Gil Kane and Sid Green. Uh, we open up with the way a lot of Silver Age issues did a uh, sort of almost reimagining of the conflict that's shown on the cover uh, with just a little bit more detail. Uh, as uh, Alan takes a shot at Hal. Uh, And in the main issue, we open up at a come as you are uh, or come as you were party in Gotham uh, that uh, Alan Scott is attending over on earth Two because there's some exposition needed here. Um, At this point, they define what earth two is. There's a lot of, uh, you know, information about uh, info dumping about who Alan and Doiby Dickles is. But as Alan leaves the party to get in the cab with Doiby, they see a meteor coming down and Alan goes after it, tries to stop it from landing in Gotham, uh, and it passes straight through his ring energy and disappears. Below him, Doiby, who is following Alan, crashes into a tree, uh, and as Alan goes to help him, he suddenly realizes that his ring is effective now on wood. He decides the very first thing he's got to do now is he has to alert his Green Lantern counterpart on Earth-1, Hal Jordan, because maybe a similar situation could rid him of his ring's weakness to the color yellow. So he flies over him o- over to Earth-1, uh, meets up with Hal, tries to show him this power that he can now affect wood with his ring, but it no longer works. Uh, Hal is intrigued by the story nevertheless, so he suggests that Alan ask his ring to tell him what happened. And the ring exposes to both Hal and Alan that the inner, that the meteor that they thought was crashing down was not actually a meteor. It was actually a, uh, a piece of energy that's been circling the universe. So the ring says, well, to tell you this story, I got to go back. 
and we get a recap of the origins of the Guardians. We learn that they were once called Owens, their very advanced intellect, their immortality, so on and so forth. And then the story we all know at this point is now told for the first time ever. And Krona is saying that he's going to probe the beginning of all things, but they warn him that it shouldn't be done. Uh, you know, uh, if the, the legend is that, you know, it'll destroy the universe, but Krona says bah humbug and opens his window to see a hand forming with a Paul, a universe in its palm. This, uh, that at this moment, the, uh, the, the system in front of him explodes. And at, at this point, according to the comic, evil is released into the universe. The guardians decide to, uh, in, because where they're immortal, uh, they decide to disembody, uh, Krona into just energy and have him cycle in circle through not just this, this universe, but all universes. Then, the, you know, they decide because one of their kind released evil into the universe, they're going to create this thing called the Green Lantern Corps and, you know, Bob's your uncle. Then we follow Krona's story as this disembodied energy, and he knows as he's heading towards Earth 2 uh, that Alan is down there and that, uh, you know, maybe I can I can get him to um, I can get him to, uh, you know, respond to me or something like that. So he turns himself into this. You know, he looks like a meteor. So he's going down. And really, when Alan's ring scanned that meteor for that brief instant, Krona shot down into uh, into Alan's ring and decided that he needed to get to earth one. And the best way to do this was to uh, remove Alan's weakness to wood, because of course he would go tell uh, his counterpart green lantern over on earth one, right? Like that's the first thing he's going to think of. I don't know how Krona was smart enough to figure that logic leap out. Oh, the silver age (laughs) (laughs) makes perfect Uh, sense. If you don't stop and use any common sense at all, (laughs) Uh, excuse me. Um, So then he, loses contact with him at the point because that's why the weakness to wood was no longer there when Alan showed up. Krona had left the ring. Hal goes, oh, I need to tell the Guardians. And the Guardians like, we were eavesdropping the whole time. We got it. We, we're coming over there. So you guys are going to set up some headquarters uh, and uh, you guys wait for, for us um, and we'll, we're going to fight this together. So because Krona is now on Earth, he's like I like the rage entity, I guess, being birthed in the center of the in, in, in the center of uh, our planet or something in the Red Lantern series. Krona just being on Earth, I guess, radiates evil and destruction. Uh, so Coast City starts going batshit uh, with tidal waves and earthquakes and a mountain bending over to spit <laughs> rocks <laughs> at in a stream at the city. And tornadoes and all kinds of stuff. So Alan and Hal are busy with all of this. In the meantime, the Guardians finally reach back out and go, okay, we're here. And you don't have to worry about any more of those disasters because like Krona being over on your Earth just causing destruction, us Guardians on Earth are going to... Uh, cancel that out so you don't have to worry about it for now that convenient silver age shit i don't know why (laughs) Uh, i've never seen the guardians exude this kind of power before (laughs) army of presence will calm things down anyways krona has set up his viewfinder again on earth and what he has done is he knocked alan's consciousness out of his body and put himself in it he shows up with how would they meet up with the guardians and he is able to exert his mental influence on his brethren and ask them to ask how to give up his ring, which is what we saw on the cover and how then to say, says, hell no, we're not doing this unless you can beat me in a fight. So now it's Hal versus Krona in Alan's body. As you can imagine, Alan pretty much wipes the floor with him, Krona. And this is where things get kind of fuzzy. I don't know what happened. Krona gets back in his own body. He's starting the, the, the experiment again. Alan is in his own, in his own ring or in Hal's ring. And then guides 
<laughs> guides Hal back to the fight. He takes on Krona again, but Krona in his own body. And he uses the ring, which uh, shoots Alan's energy, I guess, into back into his own body. So Alan can join the fight again and they 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 take out uh they take out Krona and the Guardians are now conscious again. I don't I don't know that whole thing was kind of messy. It didn't read as <laughs> for a silver age, oddly enough. It didn't read as clearly as some of the rest of it did. I think he was just disembodied and he and he was and he reached out and he contacted Hal through his ring because actually when you get to the very end it's like it's just like oh, going through the motions at the end after after Hal actually with with the Guardians and well Hal takes out Krona and the, and the Guardians finish him off and kind of reestablishes the status quo. But then you just have a little conversation. Well, thank you for like thank you for putting my energy my soul back in my body, Hal. <laughs> Let's go get some pancakes. I don't know. Much like the Guardians' mere presence calming down all sorts of calamity on the on the planet, I had no idea that Hal just had the ability to call recall souls to bodies. <laughs> Actually I think it was Alan's ring. I'm reading at the end. The idea of switching power rings so that I had uh, yes. the ring from your body instead of my own was an inspiration, Alan. Okay, so. and and the spirit of Alan added added his willpower to the to Hal, and that's how they were able to temporarily overpower Krona, which is all they needed to distract him, so his concentration is broken, which releases the Guardians, and then they can take on Krona. Yeah, I'm trying to because earlier on Hal goes summoning up all my willpower, Alan, to command my ring to absorb your mind into my. It, it's it's confusing. Doesn't yeah. really change the gist of the story anyway. That they they were basically all in one body using one ring until they could beat Krona and put everything back together again. <laughs> I don't know. Alan flies back to his universe, which great he can do that. I, I don't I don't remember exactly how he figured it out uh, that he his ring could, would allow him to do this because okay, so we might as well say it. Uh, Flash 123, Flash of Two Worlds. That's our first multiverse interaction with you know, uh, Jay and and uh, Barry running towards the 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 viewer. That came out in July of 1961. The next big happening was Justice League number 21, which came out on June 20 of 1963. That's the iconic cover of the Justice League holding hands around a table in a crystal ball and out pops the smoke uh and in in that is the jsa uh that's crisis on earth one then we have this issue which is august 26 1965 i i argue that this is as i i think it's more important than uh justice league 21 or yeah justice league 21 i argue it's as important as flash 123 because flash 123 gives us the multiverse and it it's it's almost not worth anything without the re- it's in t- the multiverse's entire origin, which happens here. Now, here they say, you know, Krona released evil, but Crisis. I I thought I like the retcon. Uh, I mean, technically it's a retcon, right? That what Krona really did was split the universe and cause the antimatter universe to happen, which. I guess technically you could define as releasing evil into the world. Or as we've talked about before, with Krona, there's been like multiple different versions. There's un, there's releasing the evil. There's like you just said, splitting. And then there was the I'm trying to remember if this was in Ganth was either this was in Ganth's tale or whether this was in um, the Third Law, or whatever. The idea that what Krona really did was. When he looked back and, and he saw the hand and everything else, what that moment basically sucked out a certain amount of energy from the universe that was, and by sucking out that amount of the energy that there wouldn't be enough energy left to restart the universe for its next incarnation when the time came. So what the guardians, part of the reason why the guardians were really rigid about order and keeping everything strict, uh, strict and go by the book and not trying to use any extra energy as possible because they believed that they could be that way. They could basically make up for their own, their brethren's own mistake and all that energy that was lost at, they could basically make that up over the course of existence. So when the time came and the universe was ready to this, our universe was ready to be destroyed and it was ready to reboot itself. There would be enough energy for like another big bang. So there was, there was that possibility too, but 
or that explanation. So either way, Cronin's a dick. <laughs> I like his I like his weird belt buckle too. Yeah, this I, I always like the the classic costume. I think it's I think it's funny. He's like um, he's like the leader on steroids with a slightly smaller head. <laughs> yeah, uh, and he's and he's always I don't, I don't know why I always think it, he's like an alien Bruce Wayne or something like an he he also he reminds me of Hector Hammond before yes, he does. Hector's yes before Hector's uh, head got crazy like he's. He's a womanizer. He's real fancy. Like for some reason, Krona always. I'm not. I'm not. I don't think he's handsome, but like, I, there's no other word for it. So like, he always looks m- way more handsome and dapper than all the rest of the Guardians. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the highlight of the episode: Krona pumps Chad's nads. <laughs> But I mean, look at him. He's 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 jacked. He's got the open collar. He's 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 got the 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 mustache and everything. He always looks like he's like really putting effort into how he looks. And every every time we see the Guardians, even in flashback and stuff like that, when they're not the little blue old Owens or whatever, they all look like geeky little scientist dudes. So I I never understood I never understood the compulsion for them to like just. <laughs> roid out like he looked in some of these panels the way his stances he he looks like the guy from those comic book ads back in the day where they're like the big buff dude is kicking sand on the guy atlas the atlas the atlas atlas ads uh charles atlas right charles atlas yeah yeah he always looks like the kid who he always looks like somebody who's just oh like more jack than they need to be (laughs) and i never understood why crona like Yes, you can make him intimidating just by his intellect and 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 what he's doing here and what he's done with the experiment and all that stuff. But why did you also have to make him physically intimidating? <laughs> I never I never understood. He's always been drawn. Think of it. Have you ever seen even in flashback another guardian look as physically intimidating as Krona does? Probably not. No, because we. Because we don't get guardians even normal, quote unquote, normal size that that often to begin with. But you're right, none of them do. But hey, the, this story also gives you the the uh, the o, the Owen baby with the blonde hair too. <laughs> That's true. Uh, what was it? Uh, was it Harupa? That was that was him, right? That is a name of a guardian, yes. Because because I remember when you and I were doing the Secret Origins podcast, we when we were on the the green the the guardians of the universe one harupa in flashback looked like aquaman with really long hair (laughs) (laughs) i think that's the only other time we've seen handsome guardians (laughs) i see i remember us joking about that the 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 flash like it it was almost like it had to be through harupa's memory of himself not what, what it was what reality was we were making that joke. <laughs> yeah, it does sound oddly familiar. <laughs> um, but what do you think of this in terms of uh, of of importance? Like I said, like if I if I were to first of all, the multiverse is not a new concept scientifically speaking, but I think it's safe to say, based on Marvel and stuff like their publication history, DC kind of pioneered that concept in science fiction, and now it's king everywhere. I mean, we just had Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, right? So like. In terms of important importance to multiverse fiction, I would kind of, obviously it would be Flash 123, Flash of Two Worlds. I put this second, then Justice League 21, and then like what Crisis number one or something like that, right? Yeah, I mean they're all they're all in this they're all kind of in the running here. They're they're all super important as you're laying the foundation of the of the multiverse, at least as far as DC goes. Uh, this is this is important. It's one of the it still remains one of the first Alan Hal team ups, though clearly from a story perspective, it's not the first. But it does give us Krona. And it establishes early on that Krona's bad news. <laughs> <laughs> and it never really changes. No, I always like I always love this story. And honestly, uh when you there we usually guys we try to talk about the ads sometimes, but honestly, there's nothing really that um compelling in this in this one there's your standard stuff of subscribing to dc and you have things like i guess look uh, the options here this might be interesting to go through but army at war challengers superman wonder woman the atom bob hope 
Blackhawk, our fighting forces, unexpected Lois Lane, Hawkman, GI Combat, Sugar and Spike. That's a callback. Uh, Superboy, House of Mysteries, War Stories, Fox and Crow. I don't know what that is. Strange Adventures, Jimmy Olsen, Green Lantern, Brave and the Bold, Metal Men, Adventure Comics, Detective Comics, and Action Comics. Ten issues at one dollar. Ah, the good old days. Yeah. Uh, so that that's cool. But otherwise, it's just ads for uh, Cheerios, for you know, gum. This the there's really there's really nothing incredibly unique here. Tootsie Roll ads, Tootsie Roll Pop ads, uh, a Palisades uh, amusement park in New Jersey ad. Advertising 10 additional new rides. Superman on it. But yeah, there's nothing really standout-ish here in terms of the ads. But I love it. I love having this issue. The cover looks classic. It's an iconic issue. It's a key issue. It's fun. But in addition to the reason I had mentioned the ad, sorry, circling back, uh, the letters column. Uh is from three issues prior. So I looked in the at the letters column in Green Lantern 43s to see what the letters call writers would say about this issue. And of the four, I mean, it's only four letters, but a resounding positive reaction. Uh, people saying it's, uh, it's the best Green Lantern story told people being really hyped that the guardians are here and we learned so much about them because uh, as one writer says in the letter column, he's talking about it and he says, uh, we didn't haven't really seen them a whole lot since green lantern number two. So he's really hoping that they take more center stage. Uh, and another letter writer uh, was just talking about all the different reasons that he enjoyed it. And the editor response was actually mentioned flash twenty one twenty three, and that, and and the editor said that their hope was that it would that this issue would be as iconic as that one. Like it's literally in the letter column of of Green Lantern uh, of Green Lantern six uh, forty three. So you got to find that. And another writer points out the similarities of of a Christian story in terms of there there once was this paradise and someone did something forbidden and evil was released into the world. And the editor confirms that the writer, John Broom, did intend that comparison. That's interesting. Yeah. Which is, I, I, you know, I, I think normally these days, probably editors wouldn't respond to something like that, a question like that. But it's interesting that they're like, yeah, uh, you are correct. That was the inspiration be- behind John Broom making it a, you know, kind of paradise lost situation, a, a Garden of Eden situation. He, he absolutely was like, yeah, I'm going to tell an Eden story. So that's cool. Yep, and it works really well. For sure. All right, what else are we going to talk about tonight? We have some, I hesitate to say bookkeeping, but there's some other things from some things from Comic-Con that we didn't really touch upon. Not every, Basically, some non-Marvel stuff, since we knew there was enough Marvel stuff book, bookended onto Thor that there really wasn't going to be a lot of room to do anything else. But there are a few, there are a few things bubbling over, so uh, this is mostly up. More uh, yeah, I should I've say more my, of your alley, I should phrase. Yeah. So I've, I've, I've got some list of, a list of things here, but it, did you have anything you wanted to touch on? A lot of my stuffs are more bullet points. There are a couple we can talk about, though. Uh, well, let's go through yours, and then if there's something that it, that pops into my head that you didn't mention that that's still in my BB brain, then we can bring it up. But I'm ready to follow your lead on this. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm I I own a Nintendo Switch, um, and I you know I I play it as much as I can, uh, you, you know, time allowing, chores allowing, stuff like that. Um, but I I can really only play certain types of games because I get motion sickness. I've mentioned that before on the show. So I've been really looking forward to the fact that they were going to take all of the previous Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle arcade games. Uh, and then the ones from uh, NES and SNES and Genesis and put them all in what they call the Cowabunga collection. And it was going to be available on every platform, uh, PlayStation, Xbox, Switch, PC, everything. Uh, they finally gave us a release date and it is happening at the end of this month. August 30th, the Cowabunga collection drops uh, for everybody on every platform. And I am super stoked for that. Um, they just came out with Shredder's Revenge. Uh, have you heard about this, Mark? No. Shredder's Revenge is a spiritual successor to like Turtles in Time. 
somebody created a brand new 16-bit side scroller four-player game so you can yeah everybody can be each turtle and it's it looks like turtles in time but a whole new game uh in this modern area and i ordered a physical copy of that that's going to be here in the next month or two uh but now the cowabunga collection comes out and i like as a side scroller fan who can only who can't play those more modern 3d open world billion camera angle games (laughs) this cowabunga collection of 13 games from the past plus this new shredder's revenge thing i'm gonna have i am so stoked (laughs) that uh that this is coming out normally i don't talk about gaming but like this is it's it's like dropping a catalog on me (laughs) and saying here choose what you want to play and i am not going to be bored for several months (laughs) that's pretty cool yeah i i know you like some some tmnt so i thought you might like that yeah Um, yeah that is an interesting uh reveal do a couple more of the quicker bullet points here for all the Snyder bros out there still doing campaigning to restore the Snyderverse, Jim Lee said, and I quote, I work on the projects that are in development. I think the Snyder cut was Zack's vision realized, and it was a really satisfying story, he told. But there's no plans for additional work on that material. Shut up, Snyder bros. Give it a rest. Plus, that whole uh, Rolling Stone article didn't help their cause either, whether you believe it or not. The stuff True. that came out in that article. It's certainly at the very at the very least, even if a third of what of what's being tossed at Snyder himself was true about how you know how vindictive he was and how he weaponized social media on purpose to go after Jeff Johns and people that he didn't like that uh it's not it's not very positive no matter what. But who knows if it's true? It's you know, we never know if anything's true in the media anymore, but it's but it's it certainly I almost was going to bring that up at one point for discussion just because, yeah, that that was certainly a big thing that besides the idea of like the percentage of people of the uh, released a Snyder cut that were just, you know, bot that were just out now bots that were just doing that. So, yeah, it's uh, people need to. Yeah, people need to move beyond it. Let it go. I'm sure I'm sure WB, if they didn't re- if they didn't regret it before immediately, they absolutely wish they probably had never gone back and given him the the money and the power to do that because it's been pretty much nothing but a pain in the ass for them ever no. since they did it. I don't, it certainly wasn't worth whatever positive momentum or any kind of subscribers they gained short term for for HBO Max. I don't think it was worth all the bullshit that that created. For sure. Uh, a couple of other quick bullet points here. Uh, the Eisners happened. Uh, I only pulled two of the little bits because they're interesting to me based on what I are, I read outside of DC and Marvel. Uh, the best continuing series uh, one was Something is Killing the Children, which both Dan and I are big fans of. Actually, we might talk about it on his YouTube show at some point. Uh, best writer of the year, James Tynion. Um, seen, he does a lot of fantastic work. Uh, I encourage you guys to not look at the Eisner winners. Look at the Eisner nominees. If you're looking for indie books to read that you think are might be a good entry point for you go look at eisner nominees because while best writer james tinian may have won other writers like ram v were also nominated and ram v is an i can't not get anything he does sort of writer for me um so just thought i'd mention that and then the last little quick tidbit uh, some Sandman stuff came out. I'm really stoked for that. Um, but Gaiman had talked about the artist from the original Sandman series. And he says, when Sandman first started the TV show, everyone asked me if Dave McKean was the original artist would do anything. But he had retired formally. This is Gaiman speaking. But I called Dave and said, we're doing the TV show. You have to do something. So every episode will have an in-title sequence, and it's a different sequence for each episode. And Dave McKean, the original artist of Sandman, made it, who's been retired for years. It is pretty neat, too. Yeah. Some of the choices for casting and stuff like that, well, you know, we'll see. But I'm stoked for Sandman. Uh, I, it is still curious to me that DC is releasing things on things other than HBO Max. I don't know the decision making behind it is it good to you know diversify where your content is like that or should you keep it on the platform you own i don't know um 
I guess that's a question to figure out in this new era of streaming media, but like, it's still weird to me that they're putting out stuff on Netflix, but whatever. Yeah. I, and some of those things you also have to wonder depending how long they were in development, because a lot of, as we know, a lot of contractual obligations pre-existed before these platforms were launched, which is probably still one of the reasons why some of some movies end up leaving HBO max and because of the contract, a lot of that has to do with the contractual obligations for HBO, because a lot of the content that's still on HBO Max relates to what's actually on HBO. So that comes that comes and goes. Like I think, like they're leaving, like they're losing. I think if it's not if not Godzilla, they're losing. I know they're losing Kong Skull Island. I think at the end of August, and you would think that would be a movie at this point that would just permanently stay. Yeah. So that could be that. Also, could be the difference between the way they do their platform versus like Disney plus where there is just, there's just a platform. It's not like absorbing stuff on a different, on, on regular Disney. And this is Disney plus like HBO max as it, you know, the contractual obligations for HBO and someone, something leaves HBO. That means HBO max is probably going to lose it too. Disney plus doesn't have to worry about that stuff. Yeah. I guess when Fox dropped Lucifer and Netflix picked it up, that, that was cool too. But I guess HBO Max wasn't around at that point. So. True. Yeah. All right. So that's my last bit of uh, quick tidbits. Anything else that would possibly generate conversation? We can start. Uh, let's see. We can start with. Okay. So the other one I was thinking, uh, have you heard about the Boom Studios series uh, that Keanu Reeves is helping to write called Berserker? Very, very, very loosely. I love Boom Studios, guys. It's one of my favorite indie publishers. I've picked up Berserker since day one. I actually have several different, you know, exclusive variants. So what I'm about to say might make those pretty valuable. They had a whole panel around Berserker, and there's going to be a live action film, a two season Netflix anime uh, from the Japanese animation producer. studio production ig and they worked on ghost in the shell and eden of the east and stuff like that so a two-season netflix japanese anime a live action film and a novel is being worked on also in cooperation with keanu reeves they didn't say anything really about the movie they talked mostly about the um the animation keanu is not even allowed to yet announce the name of the person he's collaborating with for the novel so they talked about the the two-season anime uh, Berserker, for those of you who don't know, really super condensed. Uh, it's about an immortal god, uh, demigod, not a god, named B, just like the letter B, who's 80,000 years old. Think like think like the story for Vandal Savage. Like he's a caveman who's lived forever. He now works as an agent of the U.S. government as a hired hitman, sort of killer, carrying out missions and stuff. And he's working with the U.S. government in exchange for their research so that he they can help him finally die. And I don't know, man, I, I don't know if the premise holds anything for you, but the fact that this property didn't just go, OK, we got sold an option for a movie. They went, no, live action movie, Japanese anime novel. We're doing this whole thing. Uh, that's that's a pretty big IP jump. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Yeah, I don't I don't I, I enjoy the series, so I'll probably keep several of my stuff and not sell it. But <laughs> I, may, I may be sitting on a gold mine of variants over here for Berserker number one. Um, uh, and then the other thing, of course, I wanted to talk about interview with the vampire trailer. Uh, we both saw it. Uh, it's it was a full trailer this time instead of that quick teaser we got a little while ago um, that we talked briefly about. Uh, but I know that you told me in the past your mom really liked these, so you did have some experience with these books uh, in in some way. What did, what did you think of the full trailer? I like the tone of it. Obviously, you're going to talk about how it you know how it relates to the book and things like that. Uh, but I think it's just building atmosphere as a period piece, regardless of the period that it's in, that I think it does a good job doing that. I think it helps us. I think it's good establishing the central conflict for people that are completely uninitiated. So I think, yeah, I definitely think this was much better than that, that, that teeny tiny snippet teaser thing that they gave us when we, that we saw before. This was much more, much more meat on the bones, no pun intended. Yeah, aside from story, um, it, it, it production-wise, it looked fantastic. It sounded great. The actors seemed to be doing well. I'm not yet sure how I feel about the guy playing Lestat, who I believe the actor's name is Sam Reed. I, I did, 
I don't have a good read on him. I, I do like the guy who's playing Louis. Um, so we can talk a bit, but we'll talk a bit about that. That's, gr- that's Grey Worm, right? Yeah, Jacob Anderson. Uh, I, I buy him as Louis in the context of what they're trying to tell with this version of Interview with the Vampire. I, Lestat is very, uh, Lestat is one of my favorite characters in fiction. So it may just be me putting too high of expectations on the actor, but I still don't know if I buy Sam Reed as Lestat. So we'll see. But otherwise, like I said, production, the camera work, the, the drama of it all, the intensity, the music, the, 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 at least the look of the actors, the quality of the actors, whether or not I buy them as a character is irrelevant. At least they look good doing their job. They seem like they're, they're portraying what the script they were given very well. Um, I think it looked fantastic and I am excited for it. This is not one of those changes to the story that I think will impact my enjoyment of this remains to be seen, but like, I love the look of this. So moving on into the problem with this in this trailer, Louis puts the year as 1910, the 1900s in new Orleans, early 1900s, the original, story of louis de pointe du lac was set in 1791 and he was a plantation owner in new orleans a man of wealth a man of means um he was um heavily religious his brother died uh at at a young age i I believe it was his brother set because he goes out to a uh uh burial plot to one of his family members. I'm pretty sure it was his brother. Um, he's a man racked with tragedy, with guilt, uh, with those Christian ideas of guilt and atonement and all this. As a matter of fact, in the show description, one of the things they use uh, to describe Louis, he it says, uh, what does it say? But Louis' intoxicating new powers come with a violent price, and the introduction of Lestat's newest fledgling, the child vampire Claudia, soon sets them on a decades-long path of revenge and atonement. The word atonement there—that's that's that's perfect. Louis is the kind of like um, the kind of person who would probably feel like the the practice of whipping yourself uh, helps you know atone for your sins or something like that, like. That's the kind of picture I get from Louis that he's a very tragic character who's lost all faith in humanity by the end of his journey. So that's more central to him than 1790s white plantation owner. I can see if you want to give him some of the, if you still want to keep the core of who Louis is, I can see you Putting this, if you're going to cast a man of color in the role of Louis, the 1900s can make sense. The early 1900s can make sense. Putting him in the South makes sense. Uh, And his slow death of compassion for the rest of humanity and its capacity to be good could make sense in that setting as well. So I'm not yet convinced that casting a black actor or he's a... He's African Caribbean or something like that, right? I think. Regardless, casting a man of color in the role of Louis de Pointe du Lac has to obviously take, he can't be a plantation owner in freaking New Orleans in the 1790s if he's, if he's a man of color. That's, you, you can't tell that story. But is that as central to me as what just, that he's a tragic character lost? bereft of all faith in humanity's capacity to be good i think that's more important well it remains to be seen what they want to change with all of this lestat coming in he looks evil but he also looks like he's um there's a scene where obviously there's there, there there's really no there's really no um preference i guess uh, sexual preference when it comes to the Anne rice's vampires um, because they don't use those organs once they're immortal. Um, and you know, whatever. Uh, so there's some seduction qualities to Lestat. There's intensity. There's live in the moment. There's we're immortal. We're powerful. We were owed the world sort of mentality. But that was the, always the problem with Lestat and interview with the vampire is he is always seen as like this 
agent of chaos and insanity and you know it's his way or the highway and and damn everybody else and you know all of this stuff and, and it's portrayed very well in that 1994 movie but that's not the lestat of the other of the other books lestat is referred to as like the brat prince yes he's he's a little bit ego and and stuff like that and and ego and flair and uh they were they, even in this show description they describe describe him as uh, louis finds it impossible to resist the rakish lestats offer for the ultimate escape so it's but the reason was always that interview with the vampire was told from louis perspective and that's how louis saw lestat and he exaggerated or even made up some of the stuff that he said in interview with the vampire that's how it's described in the books so i'm very interested to see what they're going to do with Louis being in the 1900s and how they capture his essence instead of him being the 1790s. And I'm very interested to see how batshit insane do they make Lestat? Do we keep some stuff to continue this? Because AMC has invested not in interview with a vampire. They have the rights to the entirety of the vampire chronicles, which according to an article I read earlier today, the entirety of the series have sold more than 80 million copies. So this is a property. A lot of people consider Interview with a Vampire to be one of the most iconic vampire novels, second to Bram Stoker's Dracula. So I'm I'm very interested because they, they have to be going beyond just the Interview with a Vampire story. They have to be doing more, whether it's just one more, like the Vampire Lestat, which goes into Lestat's origin, or if they do Queen of the Damned, or if they take it a step further, do Tale of the Body Thief or Memnock the Devil or any of that other stuff. To do any of that other stuff, your hero is Lestat. So how damned do you and insane do you make Lestat in this film or in this in this series of episodes? That will be a challenge, depending on what they're because, again, if that's like you said, if you're going to and the game plan and everything is with IP these days. So the reality is you would think they would want to flesh things out and that they would want to do at least mine the other material, even if they have to modify. And that's the danger too. If you modify it too much, you can alienate a lot of the fan base, but you would think, yes, no matter that they have to walk that fine line, they don't, they can't make him. They have to make him appealing. They have to make him relatable on some level, even if that's something that comes along over time Uh, in the beginning that you may not, he may not be as likable, but by the time you get to the end of the, the, what is this for once? Do we know how many episodes this is? Uh, I want to say 13. And plus, it's not like they have. It's not like they have to adapt the entire book in one season. Oh God, I'm totally wrong. Seven. There's only seven. Seven so debut on October 2nd on AMC. So. Yeah, so they may not even they may not even do the entire book for one. You know, they may only split the book, you know, into different. In their mind, they may be able to get multiple seasons out of the same book anyway. So. I mean, they they show Claudia, but they don't show the theater de vampire. Um, so I don't. I mean, that's essentially when Interview with a Vampire ends is Claudia dies and then, you know, Lestat and Louis split up and then we jump forward to the next time he sees Lestat. So if you see Claudia, do you think we see Claudia's death within the seven episodes? Because if we do, that's relatively the end of Interview right. with a Vampire. It, it, it's- it's hard to know. I would, I mean, I would seven up. Epi- I mean, seven episodes is not much. So I would, I almost would think they at least want to be able to get more than to get at least like two, two seasons out of at least the first book, but it's hard. It's hard to know. I, I haven't, you know, if they do, then I bet you the end, the end sequence of the final episode as like your cliffhanger is Lestat being killed quote unquote killed by Louis and Claudia and they burn him and stuff. And then Louis and Claudia get on a ship to go overseas to Europe. Yeah. That would seemingly be a very viable cliffhanger, quote unquote, had it end one sees one give you an ending, but yet you, you know that if assuming it's going to continue to for a second season, that it just kind of gives you an idea where figuratively and literally where they're going to go. So. I could yeah. see that. 
Uh, the last thing I wanted to talk about with, with regards to the interview with the vampire in terms of my last point on the subject, Esquire.com has an article, everything we know about the interview of the vampire TV reboot. Um, uh, it came out today. Uh, there's a section in it and Jones, I believe he's one of the showrunners. Uh, though Jones promises that the series is quote more reverential to the book than the 1994 movie, two major changes are in store quote, the two most aggressive differences between the book and this is that Malloy, this is Daniel, the man who's interviewing Louie to tell him the story that's in an interview with the vampire, the human that's interviewing him. His last name is Malloy, Daniel Malloy. Uh, differences between this is that Malloy is much better at his job than in the books. And that some of his primordial version of the brat prince has been put back into this. So two big differences other than the timeline. Something is up with Daniel and that we will see some of that, quote unquote, primordial Lestat in this. It's it, that's the tightrope I'm worried about. Like you can do that, but do you make him irredeemable? If you if you do that, we're screwed for the rest of this. You have to like Lestat. Um, and anyways, they say um, it's the changes to the timeline that we're most excited about uh, him with the showrunner revealing the series will focus not on Malloy's first interview with Louis, but a second interview taking place 40 years later. The script is very clear that it's 40 something years later. And Daniel is no longer the boy who was a novice journalist, just starting out making tapes of this vampire interview. Uh, this is the guy who plays uh, Malloy. Now he's getting a second crack at it. He's been very successful. He's actually on the downside of his career. And this is his last chance to grab the brass ring. It's dangerous, but he wants to go get that story. In the book, Daniel is described as like almost a boy. Like he's a very young man. And he's interviewing this vampire in in a random room uh, uh, in New Orleans or whatever. Him being older and at the end of his career and circling back for a second time to get Louis story on tape. That's that was never there because uh, Armand, one of the other vampires turns Daniel into a vampire nine, 10 years, supposedly after Lou, his interview with Louis takes place. So they're not just changing stuff. They're, they're already sort of eliminating future potential characters here. Unless somehow Armand takes this guy who's in, at the end of his life, which these vampires rarely do, and turns him into a vampire when he's in his 70s, 60s, 70s. Because Daniel is a future vampire of of the few that remain after Queen of the Damned. So you're eliminating a future potential vampire here from your future stories of ad- adapting future books and stuff like that. Hmm. I don't know, but Daniel's Daniel's not one of those critical vampires. He's just one of a very few that are still around after Queen of the Damned. So like, and he's one of the few made after Queen of the Damned, because the 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 elders that remain make a rule to kind of consult each other, which Lestat ignores completely, of course. But like, it's it's rare for there to be a new vampire after Queen of the Damned. So to already be getting rid of a potential future vampire. Uh, that's interesting to me. But again, Daniel was never like you wouldn't list him in the top ten, right? No, I don't think that. I think that would be a fair assessment. Yeah. So tonight, though, we're just going to end with the news that happened today. Batgirl's canceled. All of it, everything filmed, the money invested, projects out the window. It's not coming to theaters. It's not even dropping on HBO Max. We're done. Not happening. The axe of Zaslav strikes again. We don't um, we don't know exactly why yet. We don't know any other details, other real details, other than we're done with this project, apparently. So people, of course, are can make it about race or gender. Or the Snyder Bros going. That's because that's because uh, the, with everything happening with the Flash, they're going to cancel that, and we're actually going to get Batflet back instead of Ke- uh, Keaton and. Um, whatever uh i'm done with that not worth my time um well one i don't think either one of those are have they have no relation to each other whether batman's gonna if if ben if ben affleck's gonna end up being in an aqua in aquaman that's only because of the delay 
they only because of the delay the whole flash fiasco was created the ripple yeah. effect it doesn't um, mean that yeah i mean because that's because if things had been released properly ben affleck i mean uh michael keaton would already already have been reintroduced because he was supposed to be the flash the a batman at, in the cameo in aquaman so now they have to they have to swim upstream and fix this because the flash if it ever does come out ain't coming out the next year yeah so it it irritated me obviously here's my thing with this it, am i mad that batgirl the project is something i'm not going to see now that's not my main reason for being upset but i will say i am mad that i'm not going to get a chance to see this project the actress seems super into the role. She seemed very stoked. She's very pretty. She seemed like she was trying very hard. Um, I did like the costume design. I did like what we were seeing so far of that sort of stuff. And sure, I would love to see a Batgirl project. You know why? Because I'd also love to see a Zatanna project and a Black Canary project and all the other really badass female characters that DC has to offer. Honestly, as much as I, we know I love DC more than Marvel, duh. So this is not that big of a shock. But personally, I love way more female characters at DC than I do female characters at Marvel. And I am so stoked that any of them could have, uh, hell, I would love a Renee Montoya movie. Like, I don't, I don't, I'd love more women characters in the DCU. And I would love for Batgirl to be the second entry, you know, successful entry after Wonder Woman of a female led DC film and like, just open up that floodgates for us. And I'm mad that we're not going to get to see that. But my primary reason for being upset about this is it really feels like Warner brothers discovery is fucking rudderless. They're 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 rudderless. And the decisions that they do make are slapstick at best. And it's like, it's not just that DC is occasionally screwing up and we just prefer they do WXY instead of XYZ. It's like a night and day difference than Marvel. And you can say what you want about Marvel content, whether you like it or not, whether you agree with the decisions or not, the casting or whatever. But Marvel is actually scheduling things out years in advance it feels like they're a little bit rudderless on where they're going with their story because we don't know. But let's be honest, at least they have some sort of plan because if nothing else, they're laying a timeline out in front of us. And they have no problem because it's attached to Disney axing people from projects and replacing them if they fall out of social favor or have some legal issues or whatever, like, whether you agree with cancel culture or whatever, that's the, at least freaking Marvel is making a decision. Marvel Disney is making a decision. Ezra seems to be going off the fucking deep end. And, and, and what is going to happen with them is neither here nor there, but way too much shit has come out about Ezra and DC still hasn't officially made a fucking decision. Uh, and that's crazy. We've got a schedule for Marvel for years in advance, but DC can't even stick to a release that was supposed to happen this year. It feels, I am so mad that like, and I'm mad as a fan, like I'm trying very hard not to like, you know, rail against the system and insist that DC make changes and stuff, because then at some point you're walking that tightrope to just becoming a Snyder verse, bro. And that's not what I want to be. But I love DC and I am pissed that we are fucking failing to get any of this fantastic multiverse of characters and stuff. I'm, I'm, and I'm just I'm turning around and I'm looking at the to the, my left at this shelves upon shelves of Dead Man and Black Lightning and Brave and the Bold and, and Green Lantern and Flash and all this I love so much of this universe and it's fucking infuriating that they're wasting opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to get this shit out in a meaningful way like Marvel has. And I don't mean you have to copy the Marvel method. I just mean getting it out there and making people love it who didn't love it before. And I've said this before Sometimes I literally imagine that the multiverse is in fact real. And scientifically speaking, it seems like that every day. 
regardless, I imagine that the multiverse is real and that I could someday go to the earth where DC is the one getting the shit right with the multimedia representation and Marvel's the one failing because I want to see the world building of the justice league. I want to see them just branch out because you know, what's better. You know, what's better than the Avengers. Oh, I I honestly don't know. Fantastic four, maybe something like that, but you know, what's better than justice league. Sometimes fucking justice league, dark or the shadow pact, or like there's so much, the seven soldiers of victory, the JSA, there's so much other shit in DC. That is filled with so much potential and shit like this that just seems like they have no idea what they're doing and have no plan and never did pisses me off. Here's here's the thing. There may have been a plan. But first of all, you have to understand that now that it's Warner Brothers Discovery, there's different people steering the ship now that were in that threw all these projects against the wall a few years ago. These people haven't. You know, they don't have they didn't have anything to do with these projects that were greenlit and they were so they're trying to clear I think legitimately they're trying to clear up a lot of the mess that was left left for them. There's a lot of crap that was left for them. Now, by all accounts, whether it's true or not, because we don't know because we didn't see it, that this movie is supposed to be a shit show. That based on the test showings that they made for Batgirl, it was horrible. Horrible. Horrible as in ir- the magic word as you <laughs> which I thought of before when you used it when you were talking about Lestat, irredeemable. That the project was irredeemable, as in considering as close to being finished as this project is to fix it, to make it so it wouldn't be a total disaster. I guess you'd put it on the, the level of maybe the Josh Trank's Fantastic Four, that you can polish that turd as much as you want, but it's still going to be a disaster. Which kind of tells you, it makes you think you probably believe that it's got to be really bad, because you would think, since they've already invested like around $70 million or something in this, that even if you released it, I heard it, the figure was ninety. As I was, as I was saying that maybe it is ninety, maybe it was ninety, maybe I was thinking something else was seventy. But either way, that seventy to ninety, as is maybe or maybe seventy was invested, but ninety was the total a lot the the amount of money allotted for the entire budget, including to finish it, was ninety, and they've only done seventy so far. Doesn't matter. You would think if it wasn't a complete shit show that you that releasing it well would get at least get some money back in the theaters. And then, then you put it on HBO max and whatever. It's also telling because of the fact that, yes, my, I mean, conceptually this was weird to begin with. I mean, you had Michael Keaton was going to be Batman in this, but yet JK Simmons was going to be commissioner Gordon. And yet Barbara Gordon is going to be black, which, and so it's like, you almost think you'd want Jeffrey Wright to be commissioner Gordon. If you were going to go that route with Barbara Gordon, not that it necessarily obviously means that's the only way you can get to that result, but it's just like they're it's like they're picking and choosing. So it seems on one level, I know it's related, it's multiverse related, but it seems it seems like an odd choice structurally anyway. But this is one of those re- repercussions. Again, this is a fallout to a certain extent about what's going on with the Flash, and this could be a this could be a bad sign. This could be a bad sign that even though the difference is supposedly. The Flash is act- supposed to be actually good. The movie is actually supposed to be good. It's just that you have a complete train wreck as, as your star. And I, I don't have a lot of doubt he's getting the boot. He probably they just they just have to figure out when they're going to do it. I think the old regime just let him get away with stuff. Him, her, it, whatever he wants to call himself now. But Ezra Miller got away with way too much crap. And again, these double standards are what people hate. You can can Johnny Depp over something, but this big track record of all the stupid shit Ezra Miller does and they give him uh, a pass. It's a pass that this may not bode well for whether we are going to see the flash movie. I think we will probably because it's supposed to be good. And, but it would really suck if all, if Michael Keaton's whole return as Batman gets completely shelved or unless they decide they're just going to read, because I, I find it difficult to believe that this regime is going to spend the money it would take to reshoot the flash with, with somebody else being the flash, because by all accounts, Ezra Miller, isn't just playing one character in that movie. Ezra Miller is supposed to be playing several characters in that movie. So it isn't just, Oh, it kind of professionally deep fake his face in a few scenes. Like he's supposed to be multiple characters in that movie. So that's not an easy thing to just 
you know, sub out one character and do some reshoots for. I, but I do think this is ram. This is fallout. Potentially has fallout from the uh, Ezra Miller Flash situation as well. And I do think WB is trying to get their crap together. I think the whole idea of hey, let's do this movie, kind of like the way that in a way what they're trying to do with the comic books is like, oh, we we really don't care about continuity. We can tell this story that takes place here in this universe at this time, and that's that's a recipe for friggin' disaster. And having no coherent, you know, I mean, if you kept stuff separately, you could do it. It's when you do the intermingling, which is the in thing with it, with the multiverse. And that's probably why they've gotten themselves into trouble. So, but I get where you're coming from. I think it, it is pretty sad that, that it's like the more things change, the more they stay the same. The, that yeah. DC just, the WBDC, no matter who is calling the shots, for, ev- for every, yeah, for everything they get right, for everything like, the Peacemaker show, which they which was better than anybody would have ever expected it to be. You get a lot of movies and a lot of projects, which just and then you have the and then you have the bad luck, if you will. Even though, to be fair, the, the like the Aquaman thing, they could have they could have avoided the the problem with Amber Heard because they kind of knew that was the, they kind of she wasn't that imperative to the first one anyway. They could have recast that role. That was their own fault. That was short sightedness. They could they could have avoided that situation. Give me Amelia Clark. Give me Amelia Clark. Oh yeah, absolutely. Nobody would have cared at all just because we know the natural chemistry between between uh, Jason Jason and Amelia Clark. People would have been happy to see that in a heartbeat. They could have solved that problem. So that's that is their own fault because Amber Heard didn't have much personality in that movie anyway. They they could have recast it. No, that would have been fine. They created that problem. The Flash thing. This was that that project was just cursed from the you know how many years it took us to even get to that point where they made the movie and then you find and then and then oh yeah Michael Keaton's back which was the coolest thing and then the and then like I said all the people talk like this movie's fantastic the people who have seen it it's great but what are you going to do with it I mean it's just, yeah I just um, yeah it happened today we had to talk about it uh, as we record this I don't know uh, the curse of our podcast outside of us being able to correctly pronounced names on the first go is that every time we talk about breaking news sort of shit two days later, not even a day later, (laughs) um, some new shit comes out. So uh, we might hear tomorrow about flash being canceled. We might hear more projects like blue beetle or the Zatanna show or our six year waiting green lantern movie that we heard was supposed to be happening. In the works, so we still haven't heard anything about the show. Is what I would be concerned yeah, with. The show, the show is much more of a of a danger. Will Robinson situation in my mind than than the movie because the movie I don't think is anywhere has any come anywhere close to ever going into. But the show we know was supposed to be in pre production and the show was supposed to be coming soon. So if it's way over budget and the end or they think the scripts suck, yeah, I have no doubt WB will pull the plug on this. Yeah, so fingers crossed Green Lantern, the show, at the very least, doesn't get canceled. But uh, it would be, in along the same lines as I'd love to see it, it'd be a loss if uh, we didn't get Blue Beetle or Zatanna or those other projects, too. So, um, Well, Blue Beetle, I mean, <laughs> Blue Beetle is, 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 is filming. If it's not done, it's, 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 be, it's, in, it's in production. So the only, the only way that wouldn't see the light of day, again, would be if, there's, if it's a real cluster. I mean, this this project by again by all accounts, I mean, this thing is filmed. So there, this is an situations like this are out of the ordinary. It's like the Flash situation. That's like oh, that's like unparalleled the problem they have with that. They have this complete movie that's supposed to be so supposed to be so critical to where they were going in the DCEU, and yet because of the friggin' idiot that that they they've hitched their wagon to, that. That's a big problem for them. So Blue Beetle, the the odds are Blue Beetle will see the light of day. I am surprised that they are not that they at the moment they have no plans to release this even on HBO Max. But that's got to tell you there's got to be some serious issues with this. Or or it's there's while most of this all the shooting is done, there still would cost so much more money to do the to finish the post production on it that. They they have no desire to spend any more money than they've already spent on a project they think is just destined not to be good. But yeah, yeah, it's tough though. It's it it is an odd situation. Yeah, it's extremely frustrating to me, and uh, needed to vent that frustration because I was I'm pretty furious at DC right now because I just I remember look I I know it's dated and it, you can even give it problems if you want to um but. 
Sometimes I, re- I rewatch that first Christopher Reeve Superman movie, and the feeling you get watching that movie, if you can recapture the feeling you got when you first saw that movie if you, as, as a DC fan or as a Superman fan, there was this <clears throat> endless possibilities to the feeling that that film invoked for a DC fan. And, man, I'd love to feel that way again. <laughs> I want to believe I can fly. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Whatever. I, I hear you. I there's there's a chance. There's a there's a chance that something good will come out of this mess. But uh, the flash the flash thing concerns me a lot, just because I I mean, to, because Michael Keaton to me was always the draw in that movie, and the fact that now that we're losing this project where Michael Keaton was involved, that maybe. Maybe even though it's no fault of Michael Keaton's or even what WB would prefer, they're going to have no choice. Uh, I still think we'll end up seeing the flash. I just don't. I think maybe they'll figure, Hey, if we just make it clear that we're cutting, we're cutting ties with this guy that we'll be okay by the time it comes out. And, but it is, it is a shit show, especially the idea of promoting this. Cause you know, you can't, you can't put them out there on the, to be doing interviews and talking about this. Cause you know what people are going to be asking about yeah so but keep your fingers crossed i would like to see it just because i want to see michael i would like to see michael keaton and i would like to see what that movie is about but yeah maybe all right guys uh that's gonna do it for tonight we'll talk to you guys later just uh i guess the review of green lantern beware my power will be coming soonish all right i've seen it uh, we may have to wait till it hits HBO Max. We don't know, but we're aware we'll be doing it soon. So if people want to uh, reach out to us about their thoughts on Green Lantern 40 or anything we've talked about tonight or give their advanced opinions on Green Lantern, Beware My Power for when we eventually do that episode, how can they do so? Which the word, of course, the word on the street is most people don't like it. It's just varying degrees of how much you don't like it. Huh? Very few people have said, oh, my God, it's great. <laughs> Some people have, but you're always but you're always going to have some people say I'll be on either side of the extremes on anything. It's true. Lanterncast.com. Email is lanterncast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, hashtag geocast. Track us down there. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please leave us positive reviews on all platforms you listen to us on. Last but not least, voicemail or text us at 708lantern, 708lantern, and let us know what you think. All right, guys. We'll talk to you later. Good night, everybody. Good night.